Welcome to the Wickham to Awesome podcast. This is your host, Matt, and I am joined once again by my childhood friend, uh, Sandy, who just whose movie knowledge is just awesome. And she'll watch movies like uh, the same movie, like six, seven times just to get her notes spot on. <laughs> I think you're giving me far more credit than is due. <laughs> <laughs> Takes this seriously and she's a lot of fun to uh, do these reviews <laughs> with. Uh, today we're going to review John Carpenter's movie The Thing, which I believe, I didn't write the date of this, I believe it's 1982. 1982 1982 okay so i did get that right and uh on the last one i uh kind of led the way with notes uh sandy i had i have seen this movie before it's one of my favorite uh thriller science fiction horror horror movies from the 80s i hadn't seen it since then and sandy's never seen this before so i'm really curious to hear her take on it which i'm gonna let her do all right um, so for me, the start of the movie, uh, you get the very isolated, desolate feel of where they are. They're at a U.S. research station in Antarctica, uh, which means you only can get in and out certain months of the year. And when you're down there, you're down there for a long stay. You can check uh, out any time you like, but you may but never, you can leave. never leave. <laughs> <laughs> nice Eagles reference. Nicely done. Uh, so that that sets the stage very well, the opening shots. Um, you see a helicopter chasing a lone, it looks like a sled dog, a husky, um, trying to shoot it. And there's not a lot of context on why that's happening. Um, I went into this knowing nothing about the movie. So I'm like, why are they trying to kill that poor dog? <laughs> I was very disturbed by that. They're, you know, they're chasing this poor animal across the desolate tundra and ice and snow. <laughs> my notes on that were, don't shoot that dog, you dink. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I, I would concur with that opinion. <laughs> so, and it, it becomes apparent it's it's the Norwegians in a helicopter trying to to kill this this poor animal and the dog makes it to the U.S. research station um there are so there's some collateral damage uh the Norwegian ends up up shooting one of the U.S. researchers in the leg while aiming at the dog uh and the dog is able to escape uh there's a a moment of um a dropped grenade that ends up destroying the helicopter and one of the Norwegians. That Norwegian scientist was incompetent as hell. Not right? only he, so he accidentally shoots one of the researchers in the leg, then he accidentally blows up his colleague and the helicopter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, I know. <laughs> and then he gets taken out by a by a bullet to the face by yeah. one of the Americans there. Yeah. Yeah, screw was, you, Norwegian scientist guy. <laughs> it, it, that was a that was a an action packed start to the movie. Oh yeah, mm -hmm. definitely. Um, and my questions were that kill it. Why? Um, <laughs> and that night they're all sort of trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, the dog's sort of walking around. Um, there's one person that's a that's like a shadow figure and it kind of goes into the room. Um, so that sort of is a, is a little note I took um, 
that made sense later as I continued to watch the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, they end up going over to the Norwegian outpost and it's complete and total carnage at the Norwegian research center. Um, and the helicopter pilot uh, played by Kurt Russell, uh, McCready. Yeah, a young Kurt Russell. Yes, mm, very young. Mm-hmm. Uh, they go over there and they find all sorts of carnage, uh, dead bodies, uh, an odd ice pit. Uh, they're trying to figure out what the hell happened here. Um, they end up taking the uh, corpses that are all sort of like burned and mangled uh, back to the research center with them, uh, which is a very bad idea, apparently a little foreshadowing there. Um, the autopsy uh, then ensues. I think it's, is it, uh, what's the doc's name? Help Wilford here. Brimley. Yes. Yes. But I can't remember his uh, actor name. I'm just is like, oh, Doc, go ahead. Doc Blair, I think. Doc, it is Dr. Blair. Yes. Dr. Blair. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he's doing the autopsy and he's like, you know, all of these organs are normal. This looks like a normal human. Um, but clearly the exterior with that sort of terrifyingly like morphed double face, that definitely doesn't look quite right. But everything internal seems to be humanoid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and then you go to the, the evening scene, everybody's playing cards, pool. Um, then, uh, Clark is told to put that dog in the pen with the other animals where it belongs. And he goes in, puts the dog in, starts hearing some strange noises. Mm -hmm. And that's where you kind of get a scope for what is going on. Um, absolutely. Um, for the time, uh, the morph of the dog into a creature and all of the parts and things coming out of it uh, was disturbing. Yeah, it's pretty freaky, huh? Yeah. Then I then you find out that that dog is a dank. It wasn't the right. Norwegian scientist trying to shoot him. It was the right. dog. Is, yeah. Yeah. Then you get, oh, OK, I would have tried to shoot that goddamn dog, too. Jesus. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, so that that uh, was very enlightening. And then you start to get a, a feel of the claustrophobia. Mm-hmm. You know, you're all locked into this this one research center. You have this thing uh, that you're trying to contain and you have nowhere to go. Mm-hmm. And as a claustrophobic person, that was my reaction to it. Yeah, big time. And I'll touch upon that as well uh, when I read my notes. But yeah, yeah. Um, and then the, the suspicion starts. Um, Doc Brimley was like, you know, watch Clark. He was uh, he was alone with that dog mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and trying to figure out what is happening, what is going on. Um, it very rapidly devolves um, as they they do more investigation. Um, and they try to uh, figure out what has happened. The storyline quickly devolves into suspicion of each other. Right, right. Um, into almost a Lord of the Flies. And there's there's no no trust. Nobody's above suspicion. <laughs> and there's a lot of 
uh, power struggle of who should be in control, who should have the guns, who's not exposed, mm -hmm. um, an approach to doing a test to find out who's exposed to this thing, um, using the whole blood that they have in storage. Uh, they go to get it and it's been destroyed. Then there's the whole conversation, who had access, who had the keys, and then they end up putting Doc and locking him up uh, mm -hmm. in a storage shed, essentially, um, after he sort of goes a little bit nutsy and breaks down all of the communication equipment. He goes ape shit. I mean, he yeah. just like he just not only does he go nuts, he goes ape shit. <laughs> he does. He does. Yeah. So they're like, oh, my gosh, he's crazy. We've got to lock him up. Um, <laughs> but at that point, it's already too late. <laughs> it's too late. Yeah, it's too, too late. late. <laughs> As we find out much later, yes. Yes. <laughs> um, so that's that's my first half um, of the notes. There's a lot of uh, the camera angles are interesting in the shifting perspectives. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, like the the far away shot, and you'll see somebody run out of the research center, but you can't quite tell who it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, and then you have uh, Doc Blair alone in that cabin by himself. And he's saying, I'm fine now. Um, you can let me go. I need to get back in there. And as the, he's having that conversation, you can see a noose that he's like constructed in that shack mm -hmm. um, where he's it's almost like he's willing to, to take himself out, um, which I'm not sure why it was there other than to indicate his desperation. Right. Right. And that's probably the exact reason. I mean, yeah. Yeah. And I didn't have it in my notes and it doesn't stand up. Uh, I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't stand out to me out to me. So I don't know how visible this noose was based on uh, my memory, uh, but it was more visible when they were doing the internal shots of the cabin and he's talking to um, McCready that's on the outside. Mm hmm. Mm -hmm. um, you can see it more from the, the Doc Blair perspective, but I would think if you're looking in, you could see it hanging there. And it's like never spoken about or addressed. It's just sort of this hanging threat. I see. And if you look closely enough, you'll see a sign behind it saying, hang Mike Pence. But <laughs> I, you know, just, and, wow. and, this is 19, and this is 1982. So you talk about that's four. some <laughs> foreshadowing right there. <laughs> Uh, uh, as things continue to devolve inside, um, they start to realize that those things aren't actually dead and yeah. that the only way to kill them is to burn them, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. which when you're in a remote Antarctica research station and it's 40 below outside, that's a bit problematic. Yeah, you can't. That's pretty hard to do. Yeah, it can be done. It, it can is. be done, yeah. uh, but you got to be quick with those fire extinguishers if you want to have a safe place inside to live. Exactly. Exactly. Yep. Uh, as it, how far do you want me? Do you just want me to keep going for the whole thing or? Well, if you want to pause, I can go through my notes up to yeah. about that point and uh, sure. go from there. Um, yeah. Uh, so a lot of it's kind of a repeat of what you said. And I already said it. So um, it's kind of interesting. I actually did go back and watch this a second time i uh bought the bought a used copy 
of uh, this DVD at Bull Moose in Scarborough, oh, nice. Maine. And Miles and I watched it together. Uh, it's like a Friday night thing that we do, watch movies, just he and I. And uh, I was interested to see his take on it. So I didn't have my notepad with me. And we watched the whole thing and he really liked it. He really, which uh, that was, uh, I was glad to hear his uh, take on it, you know, being an 18 year old and, uh, and watching a movie from many, many years ago. And uh, then I went back, actually, I watched it again this morning and uh, took notes. And so it starts off and I already said, don't shoot that dog, you dink. And <laughs> then I said, limiting, then it's just like living in Antarctica with a bunch of smelly guys just must suck. I mean, they have it set up like all guy padded out. They have ping pong tables, pool tables. They have a jukebox. They have a pinball machine, a bar, you know, it, it, all the cool kind of man cave type things. But there again, I, ugh, I, I wouldn't I wouldn't want to do that I, I, I mean I'm sorry I mean even if this uh, alien thing that threatened their lives uh, didn't show up I'd be pissed off at all of them just because <laughs> I was sick of them after a while my cousin actually did that she was a marine biologist and she did research in Antarctica and stayed down there how long was she there do you know Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't even know. It was like she could only come and go at certain times of the year when the planes could get in and out. Oh man. Did she go stir crazy after a while? No, wow. she was working, doing her research. Wow. And I guess it's just like, if your, your mind is wired that way, if you're just really into the research, maybe that just takes over. I mean, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I consider myself introverted and I can spend mm -hmm. considerable amounts of time by myself, but that would be like, woof, you know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then I, I mentioned how, uh, you know, you watch it, you realize the helicopter is Norwegian and the guy c comes out of the helicopter, try, you know, we went over this already. And this Norwegian scientist is just so inept with, you know, shooting a guy in the leg and blows up his own partner scientist in the helicopter. And then I mentioned uh, Dr. Blair Wilford Brimley before the movie Cocoon and his oatmeal commercials. I'm like, oh, mm -hmm. wow. Okay. That's interesting. And it made me think of um, when Wilford Brimley filmed Cocoon, which you, you haven't seen it, directed by Ron Howard, about a bunch of old senior citizens, basically, that get these superhuman powers. Uh, that's what I remember about that movie. I haven't seen it since. But there was this meme maybe a year ago, right around the time Paul Rudd uh, became the sexiest man alive for People magazine. Uh, <laughs> Paul Rudd's a vampire. Let's just go with that. <laughs> exactly. Well, Paul Rudd, is, Paul Rudd at the time, I believe, was 54 years old. <laughs> Wilford Brimley, around the time Cocoon was shot, was 54 years old. <laughs> and he looked every part of an old guy that now would pass at like 74. And I'm like, that's bullshit. So I went in and I Googled it. How, you know, how old was Wilford Brimley when he filmed Cocoon? And sure enough, he was 54. So it's like, here I am almost at that age. Uh, and I'm like, I don't think I look like Wilford Brimley. I, I think I, I think. No, you don't look like Wilford Brimley. Not at all. Uh, thank you, Sandy. 
Thank you very much. Yeah. So, and Paul Rudd certainly doesn't look like Wilford Brimley. Yeah. But then um, there are two African-American actors in this movie. One is yes. uh, Keith David, who went on to... Uh, Keith David's movies. fantastic. Yeah, he is. He is. Uh, and then the other one is T.K. Carter. And I remember when I watched this at the time I'm, and making the connection, hey, that's that guy from Punky Brewster. T.K. Carter was like the uh, mentor, young teacher guy in uh, Punky Brewster. So oh, yeah. I did not make that connection. Yeah, I only made the connection back in the 80s. And it's just it, it's it, it stuck in my mind. It was one of those <laughs> things that I wrote. This film is beautifully shot. It was uh, yes, uh, it takes place in Antarctica, but it was uh, filmed largely around Juneau, Alaska and just uh, uh, really uh, really just beautifully shot i thought yes um the the norwegian lab scientist looks real good special effects yeah so when they kurt russell and one of the scientists go to the norwegian lab they find a dead guy there all frozen up with his uh, throat slit that type of thing it looks real i, I mean it look it, it looks passable even for now it, I, I would say it looks well um then it's just like they grab this thing, this morphed, alien-looking, grotesque, burned, burned, slimy, slimy, stealing pile of just whatever gelatinous goo. <laughs> gelatinous, exactly. And they're like, "Okay, let's throw it in the helicopter, bring it back to our lab." So then it gets on this operating table, and all of these scientists this is a big this is disturbing why the hell so they unwrap it this thing is just steaming and nobody in there is wearing scrubs a mask goggles gloves nothing and i'm like <laughs> okay you this is you've never seen this type of uh, life form before and here you are you know and it's steaming for christ's sake and here you are just poking around it like, oh, this is interesting. Oh, oh. And Kurt Russell's like, hey, Wilford Brimley, you do an autopsy of that right now. And he proceeds to do an autopsy on it without wearing any of this protective gear. It's like, how? that's just, you're smart doctors and scientists and all this other stuff. You can't wear, uh, what do they call it? PPE, personal protective equipment. You've uh, got that right. Yes, I did. Yeah. I'm a germaphobe, so I would have been <laughs> in oh, a full man. hazmat suit because, that's just you know, it. that's me. <laughs> that's just it. And those things were around in the early 80s. And for goodness sake, I, I get the fact that it's Antarctica, but it, if it appears that you're pretty well equipped in that uh, research lab, you know, that's what it's there for, guys. Put it on. Okay. <laughs> All right. Then I said, then we find out why the Norwegian scientist was trying to shoot the dog. And that's, uh, and um, the dog, yeah. And then I already used the, uh, the uh, line, the dog was a dank, the Nor not the Norwegian scientist. <laughs> and this is where another one, the special effects, I believe, are just really, really good. When the dog transforms and there's... Oh. A tentacle tongue-like things coming out grabbing onto other dogs i'm like wow these special effects are pretty spot on um they go back to the norwegian site and then they discover that they dug up a spaceship 
that was buried in the ice for 100,000 years. Those damn Norwegians, why didn't they just leave well enough alone? You know, troublemakers. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It's like, yeah. Um, so if you go to Antarctica to do some research and there's Norwegians there, you tell them, hey, if you think there's a spaceship there, you're not going to dig it up. You leave it. You leave it alone. Exactly. Is this um, a plot of a Stephen King book? It could be. Are, are they Norwegian scientists? No, it was it was it was Maine and digging up uh, a spaceship. Oh, really? Tommy Knockers. Oh, okay. And I never read Tommy Knockers. Yeah. And I, so I know basically, if you find a spaceship, leave it alone. Just walk away. Just walk away. Exactly. Just walk away. Just walk away. Yeah. Unless you're like a 13-year-old kid with your buddies walking around <laughs> the main woods, you're totally, you're totally going in that spaceship. But as an adult, just leave the damn thing alone. Just exactly. Leave. Yeah. Yeah. Then um, I liked it when Wilford Brimley just loses his shit. You know, he oh, starts yeah. shooting at people, takes the axe. I mean, you know, the thing is, I mean, it's understandable. I get it. I get it. I completely get it. Yeah. Where they are, the fact that they're probably already going stir crazy, cabin fever, all that stuff anyway. And then you bring this like alien life form in that's just, you know, it's, we can it's assimilating. It is. Oh, that it's is a good That's a good word. You have a word a day calendar, don't you? Don't you? <laughs> <laughs> I I find when I'm in conversations with people, um, messaging with people, some someone will throw out a word like, "Oh wow," and then I'll end up googling it because I don't know the meaning <laughs> of it. <laughs> then I'll respond like, "Oh yes, that's interesting." Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Little did I continuous know, learning right? is a good thing. Matt. It is continuous a very learning. Good thing. Yeah, I went to Mountview. What do you expect? <laughs> Hey, ditto. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You, you actually paid attention. <laughs> yeah. Then, of course, not only does Wilford Brimley lose, loses, loses his shit, everybody loses their shit. Like, as you said, nobody trusts one yeah. another. Who's going to take a leadership role? Who trusts who? And no one trusts anyone. Yes, that's what I put down. The yeah. music I really, really like, it's by Inyo um, Maricone Maricone. Cone, I believe that's how who did actually and it's interesting because the critics did not like this movie back when it came out and one of the things that was criticized was the music and I listened to the music and I'm like wow that music is spot freaking yeah on I and, thought the soundtrack was good I mean yeah. like superstition by Stevie Wonders in exactly song. and then just with like the bass sounds when they come in those suspenseful <laughs> But I believe a lot of that music was just so used in the years prior. This uh, mm. this particular gentleman that did the score also did scores for all the spaghetti. Well, not all of them, but the spaghetti westerns that we know that Clint Eastwood did, Fistful of Dollars, yeah. that type of thing. So a lot of what he used maybe was considered a little bit overused at the time. But now you look back on it, you're watching this, and I'm like, and I'm listening to it with my JPL flip, flip speaker with really good bass. And I'm like, holy cow, that music is really fitting. Like it is. Yeah. And that gets, yeah. So we're about at the same point right now. Then I stopped taking notes because I feel like I know the rest of the movie pretty well. And I don't, uh, and I think I can do uh, okay off the cuff, if you will. So yeah, I'll, let's go I'll off let, the cuff. Exactly. You continue on and I'll, I'll add color. 
Okay. Well, I mean, uh, one thing it's interesting because that same guy that did the score did the score for the Hateful Eight, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Oh, okay. And uh, that, which I mean, that could be a whole nother episode. I like that movie because uh, uh, Quentin Tarantino used a lot of old Western film techniques, like the eight millimeter film, the, the score by a spaghetti Western guy. And but before I knew that, I made a, another comparison of something that's in both movies. In The Hateful Eight, they're in this cabin during a blizzard, and to make sure they get from the cabin to the porta potty, because the visibility and wind are so bad, they have a rope that they hang on to. And I noticed that they used that in this movie as well, mm -hmm. uh, because the conditions were so bad in Antarctica that to get to one building to another, uh, they used a, a, a rope uh, and I thought that was clever uh, anyway and Good survival technique survival technique exactly exactly so I mean I don't actually have a heck of a lot to say more than when they decide to test the blood mm -hmm. and figure out who's who and you know you're starting to gain in this I feel like it's a smart thing to do whoever came up with the idea of this experiment was great so basically you take a scalpel you cut somebody deep, they bleed in a Petri dish. You take this electric wire, you put it in there and the blood is going to react. If your if blood it's contaminated, yeah. if it's contaminated blood, you're going to know right away. Okay. So the first few are like, you know, and then finally they hit one where the guy's contaminated and everyone's tied down in a chair. So they together. can't get Together. together. And what was that? What was that? I was going to ask you, so why'd they do that? I guess, I mean, I guess it's a trust thing. Like, God damn it, you're not going anywhere. So if you're, we discover you're a thing, you're staying there. But so when all of a sudden the contaminated blood starts acting and this guy starts spitting out all kinds of weird tentacles and tongue-like things, I started to laugh because the other actor's reaction was just yes. so funny to me. <laughs> They're all like sitting in a chair tied up going, ah, <laughs> ah. It's just like, <laughs> it's like a really bad B movie. It's like, you think you could get better acting than that with a bunch of guys just sitting there going, ah, ah. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I mean, if I saw that, I would pass out, shit myself. <laughs> Probably throw up four or five times, then just freaking pass right out. <laughs> you know, yeah. Yeah, there's there's some logic flaws in in some of the things they did, uh, admittedly. And I I agree with you. The when you're tied down and something is morphing next to you, your acting choices are somewhat limited. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. It's like you know, you might as well just had a guy sitting there going. Oh, wow. That's interesting. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he's the one contaminated. All right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Glad I'm not. Glad. Yeah. We still got some Budweiser in the fridge. <laughs> some yeah. whiskey, please. <laughs> yeah, some whiskey, some J&B. That's what Kurt Russell drank. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, as the movie goes on, I do remember back in the day when Dr. Bailey turns into the thing and, mm -hmm. and, and actually that whole metamorphosis uh, still works, I think. Yeah. Uh, it really does. Um, uh, 
I remember back in the day, it seemed more climatic than it does now. When Kurt Russell throws in the stick of dynamite and says, oh, yeah, fuck you, too. It seemed more uh, effective back when I first saw this back in probably 1986 uh, or so on on VHS. Uh, So and maybe it's because I had seen it before and I remembered that scene well, but it seemed kind of... uh, flat to me and maybe that part doesn't hold, hold stand the test of time i don't know that might be a question for you actually i mean so for me that it, the act of deciding to blow the place up uh that's what they were in on the mission to do um mm-hmm. to make sure that it didn't spread it's basically a self-sacrificing nobody's going to get out of this alive right situation mm-hmm. um so for me that that sort of did stand up it might you know, the whole throwing it into the creature and blowing it up. Uh, what else are you going to do in that situation? For me, it, yeah. hold, it holds up in the context of the storyline. In, um, con- in the context of the storyline. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. In the context of the storyline. Mm-hmm. Um, I was surprised that uh, McCready um, and what was his name? Childs? Yes. Mm-hmm. At the end had survived all of the explosions. Mm-hmm. Um, and basically are, are sitting there talking, mm-hmm. um, and about to freeze to death. <laughs> right. Um, right. Right. So right. they just sort of peace out together. I was surprised they even survived all of the explosions, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the explosions themselves, uh, uh just seem kind of cheesy. I mean, it's like, but again, it's a pre- they really in 1980. Uh, too you're not gonna you're not gonna get any better than that i mean you watch uh the you even watch the original star wars now which you know for its time were mind-blowing special effects you can see how i hate to say it because i feel like i'm being like almost sacrilegious here you can see how some of the effects are kind of cheesy today Uh, so i like how you said in the context of the story that holds up well. Uh, the effects themselves don't really add to the power of it because, you know, if it was made today, you know that uh, those explosions would be much more dramatic. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, yeah. I agree. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I like the fact that um, that ending, yes, they survived the explosions somehow and that... You know, uh, maybe that's BS or whatever. But I like how two characters who were very much against each other, antagonists, Mm -hmm. are left. You know that this isn't going to end well for them, but yet somehow there's a camaraderie there between them in the end. And that provides comfort. And I like the fact that they didn't rely on just a typical Hollywood ending that somehow they're rescued by another say foreign helicopter lab scientist people or something you know now i have an alternate theory on that Um, and i haven't done any research to know if there was a sequel or not and there very well may have been i don't believe so i don't believe in the context of the movie they're like this thing doesn't it wants to stay quiet it doesn't want to stay it doesn't want to be obvious Mm-hmm. And if it's not going to get out of here, it would just rather freeze and go back to sleep until somebody else finds it. Mm-hmm. So at the end of the movie where Childs and McCready are sitting there 
talking and having a drink as they're getting ready to die, um, that sets it up that if one of them is infected and they just go to sleep and freeze, that Ooh. creature also gets to go to sleep and freeze to come back and play another day. I, uh, yeah, that's if they were infected, which at they could have become infected. So it's the time of the test to when that movie ends. Mm. So it does sort of set it up that there, that could have been a sequel. And I should have done this before the podcast. I should have Googled that, um, which I, did I was not just going to ask you. I was, I was just going to ask you. I'm like, I was remiss. I failed on that point. <laughs> I had the same thought and I'm like, Oh shit, my phone's over there. My headphone cord is only so long. And then I'm like, uh, yeah so then i was thinking oh well, sandy she probably has her phone there she can google it uh there is a thing too there is okay there what is um what year was it what it, year uh actually it was remade in 2011 okay that's what i want to get into it okay. was remade yeah it's actually the same title not a remake they uh, okay and my because miles and i did research on this uh after uh the movie because that movie got really really bad reviews and i'm thinking to myself well of course it got bad reviews that movie shouldn't have been rebooted it was fine the way it was and come to find out the 2011 movie is the norwegian story that okay up. so it's a, it's actually a prequel uh, they made many Got mistakes. It. They made many mistakes with it. One is that they didn't change the title. They, exactly. You know, and another is in, I believe, casting as well, because they had a hot female Norwegian scientist. And it's just like, I don't know if back in the 70s, that would have been a, a thing. You know, you, we mentioned how, yeah, it's. Uh, now I'm going to get myself in trouble. I look at this. <laughs> When I look at this, if you're going to be holed up together, it makes sense to have people of the same gender uh, kind of hold up together because you're not going to cause any type of relationship trouble, assuming everyone is heterosexual, I suppose. So back in the 70s when this or 80s, early 80s, when this would have happened, would you had a token hot female scientist in with a bunch of male heterosexual scientists as well that are going to be holed up together or is that just like are we now just uh be making sure that we do have these maybe there's a, a better balance of genders in these in these roles um i don't know i don't know i'm throwing it out there but i think they tried to make the movie a little bit too sexy uh, that was another okay. problem that was another problem and that's how i should have said this before i just went through that whole diatribe <laughs> sounding stupid <laughs> no 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 you, you see you've you've done more research than i did exactly. um, there there was a a quote on there that if john carpenter was able to reboot anything and do a sequel it would be the thing that is one of the ones he wants to update it's interesting because i just read an article that there's talks about him rebooting this and uh, I don't know. I I suppose if he's involved, okay, but does it need to? I mean, uh, I think this movie it it still works for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It does. It, it holds up. It's like 
I mean, most of the special effects even hold up. Uh, it holds up. There's the psychological factor. Sure. There's the um, the human dynamic of how um, everything devolves with lack of trust um, and how it spirals and everyone's under suspicion and you're trapped in this one location. Um, that for me is as scary as the creature itself. Oh, yeah. 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 what humans might do to each other right right it's yeah exactly it plays on that more than it does the mm -hmm. creature itself and then yes. it makes and we're talking about it, it makes me think about how i would be if i were in that situation uh and yeah yeah i which i don't do that with every movie i watch uh, that's for sure that's for mm -hmm. sure yeah i it's almost since the 2011 prequel was just so poorly done i i'm curious to hear that story i see that story so maybe that's one yeah. that needs to be rebooted if it, it i mean i've been told just not to watch it i mean there's no love there seems to be like no love for this movie uh, mm. uh, whatsoever so uh but i don't know it i suppose if you rebooted it i i'd go see it uh, i probably would too yeah, I'd be curious. I'd be curious. Um, so watching this movie and the special effects, uh, what surprises me is we reviewed Fright Night and that was considered, uh, uh, that was at the time the, for a horror movie anyway, a movie that spent the most on uh, special effects than anything prior to it. And in comparison, you take this movie where the special effect budget was relatively low. The special effects in this movie are better than the special effects in Fright Night, which came out five years after. Uh, That's true. Yeah. yeah. There were a few clunky scenes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, what was it? Was it Norris? I don't know. The guy that his head became the creature like sprouted legs oh tried to yeah walk away. Sprouted legs. That, yeah. that was a little cartoonish to me sure. but for the majority of it it stood up that was it, that was just like one scene that we could have just done without but exactly exactly <laughs> that should have been on the cutting room floor <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i guess in a retrospect most uh, critics now do like this movie most people that do watch it do like it it just surprises me that back in the day that it received uh, so many negative reviews uh, and who knows i mean maybe it was just because maybe uh, it was being compared to unfavorably to say movies like alien star wars mm -hmm. Uh, movies like that, I suppose, which are just masterpieces. Uh, this movie, I wouldn't call a masterpiece. I would just say just a very, very good movie. Yes, it's a it's a horror movie that also is a psychological thriller at the same time. So I for me, it stands up. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've been listening to um, this other podcast. And I maybe I've talked about it before. It's called Gutting the Sacred Cow, where these two guys, comedians, we'll have a guest on, they will, and the guest will take this movie that we all love and try to convince these two that the movie actually sucks. Uh, <laughs> um, one guy had the audacity to go on that show and say that Jaws wasn't a good movie. And I'm like, are you freaking kidding me? I mean, that's like, Jaws is almost 50 years old and Jaws is just 
awesome. You want to talk about a movie that stands up. Holy cow, that movie stands up. Yeah. And um, yeah, but it's um, and I don't know where I was going with that. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Um, other than I guess it's it's good to go shameless back. plug for another podcast. For a famous <laughs> one more, yeah, and actually I've interviewed those two guys on this show before, but nice. um, yeah, I guess it's just uh, it's good to go back and just look at some of these movies, compare them to uh, other movies that were important to us when uh, growing up. Maybe they're movies we've seen before, maybe not, uh, and. Uh, yeah, uh, it's uh, movies today. There's so much out there to watch. You can watch. I mean, it's just unbelievable what you can stream now. And it's I feel like uh, maybe some of the movies today uh, compared to movies uh, well, like this one. I feel uh, where am I going with this, Sandy? I'm rambling on. Oh, I, I, I can. I guess when it comes down to it, it's just I'm glad that we can go back and uh, with so much technology yes. that we have to make movies the way we want to and how special effects are just so easy to use. I like going back to these movies and you see the effort that must have been put into these. I mean, would someone, if this movie was rebooted, would they even go to Juneau, Alaska? to film this uh you can be all green screen it'll be all green screen exactly Mm -hmm. exactly and then it would get into the cbg effects and all that and so you take that same storyline and would you just get that feeling of isolation and the psychological uh just uh issues that come up uh in this movie I i think if the movie were rebooted today, it would take something, uh, it would be hard to kind of capture that uh, with the, with this overuse of technology, if you will. Yeah, I think you could do a nice blend mm-hmm. um, similar to, and I don't know if you ever watched Game of Thrones. Oh yeah, I watched all of where, it. Where mm-hmm. they took some actual locations mm-hmm. and then they had added some green screen CGI to put some of the, the background in. Right. So you still get that, um, organic, natural setting, plus some extra CGI on top of it mm-hmm. um, to make it blend in. So you still get that the the scale yes. of the actual setting. Yes, uh, which I mean, you want to talk about a show that was masterfully done? There you go, right there. But and I like the last episode of the Game of Thrones. I no many people don't i like how it ended i have no problem with it whatsoever i mean the fact (laughs) other other than the fact that it had to end i mean other than the fact that it had to end because i enjoyed it so much. we could do a whole other show on how it it seemed to lose its way once they ran out of book material yes yes but i read the books oh not everybody yeah the, the books are a commitment I'll tell you that. I have heard that. I actually, I believe I bought uh, my ex-wife who was really into the show and loves to read. I bought all the books for her one Christmas and she just couldn't do it. She just couldn't, uh, she just couldn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was, I was in the books before I was on the show into watching the show. Oh, okay. Okay. Um, yeah. and there's just so much that, I mean, as a book reader, I, <laughs> I always judge the shows by the books and anyhow. I, I digress. 
There you go. There you go. That could be a whole nother show. We should. It could be. Yep. We absolutely. All right. Well, thanks right. again. And thanks as always. So actually, before we leave, uh, so I get the sense you believe this stands the test of time. Yes. Thing? Okay. And For on me. a one and on a one through 10 scale, what would you give it? I'm going to go eight. Eight. On this one. Yep. Yeah, I believe, yeah, I'm like seven and a half, eight, uh, somewhere in there. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I mean, there are very few movies out there, much like albums, that I would give a perfect 10. Um, they're very, very, very few. But this one, I mean, yeah, this one's seven and a half, eight. Uh, certainly, I'd recommend uh, anyone watching it. Uh, uh, just because of the psychological aspect, mainly because of the psychological aspects of it. Agree. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks again. This has been the Wicked Awesome right. Podcast. And uh, until next time, love you all and take care. And thanks again, Sandy. Thanks, Matt. Yeah, take care. See ya.